Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Being a Fan of Disney podcast. I'm your host, Cody Haver. In this episode, we talk to Ray Eady, a former cast member for the Walt Disney Company who specialized in several stunt shows, including playing Indiana Jones in the Indiana Jones Epic Stunt Spectacular. Ray was nice enough to tell us about how he got into the business, how the shows were developed from the initial stage um, to day-to-day planning, and he was kind enough to answer uh, several questions that I had. It was a lot of fun. I grew up identifying with Indiana Jones and really, really identified with the epic stunt spectacular at Hollywood Studios. It is my favorite show on property. Um, So it was a lot of fun for me. I hope you enjoy it. Please come along with us on our adventure. All right, class, welcome to another session. Today, we have Ray Eady with us, and he's going to talk to us about his career, um, the many different things he's done with the Walt Disney Company, outside of the Walt Disney Company. Um, and we'll, we'll jump right into it because this is, it's a very interesting, um, it'll be a very interesting visit, um, an extremely interesting background. So first I want to welcome Ray. And Ray, if you could kind of tell us, take us from your introduction to um, your fandom, but then also how you got into the very unique positions you were in with the company. And thank you. Sure. Yeah. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. It's fun to be here. Um, so I would say my biggest connection to Disney was uh, one of the jobs I had after I went to finish my undergraduate and my graduate degrees was I, I ran a, a marching band camp company. And because of that, I worked with a lot of different marching bands, mostly in North Carolina and Virginia, which is where I lived at the time in North Carolina. And we would take spring break trips to Disney all the time. So uh, my largest number of visits to Disney came working with a marching band that's going to march in a parade somewhere, and then we'd have a few days around the parks. So that kind of got me into really enjoying the vibe and, and just having that, all the different parks and all the different resorts and all the different kinds of parades and, and fireworks and everything. It was just fantastic. Um, and during that time, uh, I discovered that my favorite part of the parks was the shows. Um, lots of my students like the rides. That was their, their favorite part. They wanted to ride all the crazy rides. And I, I enjoyed those too. But I'm just, I guess I'm more of a performer guy. And I just loved all the shows. Went and saw the Indiana Jones stunt show, Epic Stunt Spectacular, and absolutely fell in love with it. I thought, this is the coolest thing I have ever seen. And I really, gosh, I'd love to be a part of that. Uh, there's no way that could ever happen, probably. But uh, how cool would that be? Um, so then fast forward, <laughs> after a little while, I did decide to pursue um, career as a stuntman, which was something that was I dreamed about since I was a very small child and never thought was realistic. I, I literally discovered something about stunts when I was looking for Sesame Street on TV as a little boy and came across some documentary about stuntmen. And I thought that is the coolest thing. And literally from a child, I was like, I want to be a stuntman. But I convinced myself that it wasn't a realistic job. I mean, that's like a superhero. You can't, or, you know, I can't be a rock star. I can't play in the NFL. I'm not like a big studly, you know, athletic superstar. I, I was like, I, I was like, I can't, I'm good at math. I'm not going to be a stuntman. So, okay, let's just put that dream aside and move on with our lives. 
And I, I did that undergraduate degrees in math and economics. And I worked for a consulting firm and I got a master's degree in math education. And then I started my company. I'm doing marching band stuff because I'm a big band nerd. I'll admit that freely. Um, and finally thought, you know what? I, why not? I just try. I'm going to try for this crazy thing. If it doesn't work out, whatever. I have, I have a job. I have a degree. I can always do something. But uh, let me give this thing a shot. And so I did. And I met stunt people. And I trained, I took stage combat, which is pretend fighting, as well as martial arts, which is real fighting, um, gymnastics to get better body control. And I, I met some stunt people in Wilmington, North Carolina at the time, which is a really big filmmaking center at the time. Um, and I learned about high falls and car slides and fire burns and how camera angles worked. And we did little things, little indie films and just little charity events. And just had fun just being a crazy little stunt man in North Carolina. Um, and then I auditioned for the Indiana Jones stunt show. Like, why would I not even try? Now that I have some training, let me give this a shot. Uh, I did not get it the first time, but the third or fourth time I auditioned, uh, I actually got the role and I got to play Indiana Jones in the Indiana Jones stunt spectacular uh, from 2001 to 2009. So it may have been before some of your students were born, <laughs> but, uh, but if they caught it in that window, it might have been me. There are always about half a dozen of us who play the role at any time. We take turns on different shows. But uh, that's the span of time when I played that. I played that role. And thanks for the introduction. And it, it it's so fascinating. And you you mentioned it, wanting to or having seen a documentary about stunt performers as a young child, and then mm -hmm. and and wanting to do that, um, and thinking you know this isn't really something that um, a lot of people can do. And I, as we were talking before we started recording, I think a lot of people share that kind of view that yeah. as a kid, it's something you think, man, this would be so fun to do. And um, the first time that I saw the Indiana Jones Epic Stunt Spectacular, I thought the same exact thing. Now, I didn't see it. Um, I wouldn't have seen it when you were in the show. I would have, it would have been, I guess, when it actually when it first opened in mm. the early 90s yep. um, and every time we went back I would see that show and and would always think hey I would love to do this um, <laughs> yeah. now as now as a father um, I see everything in my house as um, I don't want my boys trying to do any stunt <laughs> on that on that yeah. on, you know yeah. things change sure. for you but um, so when when you uh, took the leap of faith yep. to, to, to start working in stunts. Pun intended, right? Um, <laughs> I mean, how, what were those first, I guess, how did you get over any fears of high falls, of, of, of the different stunts and the different things that you would have to do knowing some of the outcomes could not be positive for you? Uh, well, I'll be very honest. Um, I, I was okay with heights. I wouldn't say I'm, I'm, you know, like one of these free climbers who can go up the side of a mountain with no safety. And, you know, I'm not that kind of, uh, comfortable with heights, but I, I was okay with it. Um, but even, even sliding a car or throwing a punch and you might get hit or you might crash or you might, you know, some, getting, getting hit by a car, literally like for a stunt, um, things can go terribly wrong. That's part of the job. Um, so I, I wouldn't say that I ever, ever came like it's, it's not even, it's like it's a casual thing because it really shouldn't be. Uh, the truth is as a stunt person, you should always have a little bit of butterflies going on before you do a big stunt. Otherwise you're not taking it seriously enough. 
Um, so even before I, I would do a high fall, I might've done, you know, a hundred times, hundreds of times, um, that little tingle is like, Oh, okay. make sure I'm paying attention. I'm like, good. That's good. I'm, and once I, once it gets to be where I, I don't even think about it anymore, then you, you lose concentration and something bad happens. So, um, but the truth is it really just has to be something that is, uh, I don't want to get too philosophical about, about, you know, bravery here, but the truth is I would, and I think, I think I said the truth is about eight times already. Um, it is, it is a fact that if you are too afraid to do something and you can't do it, that's okay. Bravery comes into, into play when it is, I am scared to do this, but I'm going to do it anyway, because I, I think I'll be okay. I feel confident in my abilities and I've trained for a long time and I'm going to do this thing. And the first time it's going to scare the crap out of me. And it, it usually does. The first time you do it, the next high fall is 10 feet higher, 10 feet higher again. It's pretty, pretty creepy. But, um, but then you, then you get that just a casual level of, of nervousness without being, you know, petrified. Um, there have been plenty of people who have tried that role, Indiana Jones role or other roles where I've, I've worked who give it a shot and they're like, nope, I, I, this is not going to happen. And they just, they, and it's better if they realize it themselves, then they train badly and look dangerous and have greater potential for injury. In which case someone else has to say, we made a bad choice. You're not right for this role. Sorry, we got to let you go. And that's happened to the Indiana Jones and other shows as well. It's a, it's just a decision to push through. Um, and, and to, to put a bow on this whole thing, you never really do the hardest thing first. And like I alluded to, you don't do the, the 30 foot high fall at Indiana Jones or the 50 foot high fall at Lights, Motors Action on day one. The first thing you do is you get on a trampoline and you jump up and down and can you land safely bouncing from, you know, two or three feet in the air and then you know, bounce higher and then bounce higher. And then you go do like a, an eight foot high fall. Mm -hmm. Then you do a 16 foot high fall. Then you might do a 21 foot high fall. And, but you don't move on the next level till the previous one is consistent and safe and comfortable and they feel good moving you on. You feel good moving on. Eventually you get to the biggest one. That's your job. And once you can do that, you're okay. So it's a, it's, it's not, as scary as it sounds going in day one saying jump off that building or else you, yeah. you're fired. If you do it wrong, you're going to die. It's yeah. not quite that traumatic. <laughs> and I, I think we should probably, um, I guess at this, at this point, take a step back maybe. And, and we right now are talking about Indiana Jones Epic Stunt Spectacular. Um, there are other shows that you've worked on. Mm -hmm. um, could you, briefly give us um and, and for for anyone watching um they could tell behind ray uh, that that's the, <laughs> the famous boulder scene yep. um and the stunt show the behind me is where the famous boulder scene takes place um can you give us a little bit of synopsis of what the indiana jones epic stunts show spectacular is about and then kind of walk us through what um, the other attractions or the other shows you've worked on lights, motors, action, and yep. then phantasmic. So yeah, people yeah. understand. Absolutely. So, uh, if, if you haven't seen the, the movie, Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Lost Ark, then it's just a fun show to go see because it's got some cool stunts in it, but it is directly pulled from that movie. So if you have seen that movie, the first scene, it's three scenes. And the first one is the opening scene of the film, which is where Indiana Jones goes into a cave and has to evade traps to get a golden idol. And as he's trying to escape, he gets chased by this, this giant ball that's behind me in the picture, if you're looking at this. Um, and, uh, you know, and he escapes. So in the stunt show, it's slightly different versions of those stunts and the traps, because it, just because of the mechanisms you had to deal with. Uh, for example, in the film, 
things shoot out of the wall towards him, like, you know, little dangerous poison tipped things shoot sideways. Well, you can't do sideways in a, in a theater or else it's gonna shoot towards the audience and which is dangerous <laughs> or away from them, they won't really see it. So instead it comes up out of the ground. So that's, they, they made modifications, but they kept true to the feel of that scene. Um, and then the two, the three giant pieces of set that that, that that scene takes place on roll out to the sides and you see a setting of, it's supposed to look like Cairo. And that's a scene from the film where Indiana Jones and, and Marion Ravenwood, his sidekick, his love interest in the film, um, uh, are being chased by bad guys. To, they're trying to kidnap Marion and, and maybe kill Indy or whatever. And, um, and there's just a big fight scene you know, with using the whip, which is an iconic weapon for the character and running around. And now this is, this is very different from the film, but the idea is still just being chased by bad guys and fighting and punching and kicking and falling and jumping and whipping. And, and uh, the end, a truck explodes, which is very dramatic and, and really neat stunt. And then those things move off. Everything's on these big wheels and they roll those things off. And the third scene is uh, one of the scenes in the film where it's Indy versus one big, huge muscular dude. Uh, we call him the giant in the show. Um, his technical name is the German mechanic, which is the role he played in the film. Um, Indy's trying to grab an airplane and fly away. So a small version of, a, of a, an old version of like a Nazi flying wing comes out. And, um, and as, the, as the fight begins, Indy versus this big giant who's cast to be taller than Indy and usually big muscular guy. So it's supposed to look like he's just getting the snot beat out of him, honestly, <laughs> which he kind of does in the film too. Um, and then at the end, there's you know, another factor comes into play. And, and one, of the, one of the nice things about Indiana Jones is he doesn't always win because he's, he's not a superhero, mm -hmm. but he's, he's very smart. He's very tough. He refuses to give up. And his one last thing he has is he's lucky. Mm -hmm. Every once in a while, he just gets the one thing that goes wrong is the one thing that would have killed him. And because the plane comes around and, and you know chops up the bad guy, he gets to get away. Otherwise, he would have lost that fight and probably been killed. So um, then you know, run away. So that's these three really big dramatic scenes from the film that are recreated in such a beautiful way with technology that, uh, that you and I were discussing earlier that, that uh, has held up very well over the decades. So that was a lot of detail on that one show. I may have gone too far in that one. I can go faster oh. over the other ones if you like. <laughs> well, I, I, before we go to the other shows, I, I did have some questions with what you were just yeah. saying. That, sure. Um, with the, I, I love the way that the story is told. And when I was a kid um, and the first time or two that I watched the show, I wanted to see the stunts and show me the stunts. I want to see the action. I want to see him yeah. falling through the ceiling and I want to see the boulder and all of these things. Um, and then, you know, the, as I got a little older, I started to appreciate more and more the actual speaking roles in those mm -hmm. shows mm -hmm. um, where the, the, the person playing the set director comes out and is describing how ever all of these stunts are put together. And, and it, you know, it took probably three or four viewings of the show for me to, to realize, oh, this is a show about how they do the stunts. Yes. So they are explaining how they do the stunts, which is what the purpose of Hollywood Studios, MGM Studios was when it opened. Right. To give you a behind the scenes view of how movies are made. And so yep. the people that work on, work in the show, Mm -hmm. um is everyone in the show able to to do different stunts and so everybody just kind of moves around and, and one day you may play one role and the next you may play another role or how does that's that work? A really, 
That's a really good question. Um, there are some some individuals who can play multiple roles, acting roles and stunt roles. Um, I was trained up as the director. You just mentioned as well as a as a sub. I mean, my main role was Indiana Jones, but if if the director called in sick, they could pull me over to be the director and have someone else be Indiana Jones that day. So uh, I, we would cross train in mm -hmm. that respect to different roles. And there were there were several people who did that across different roles. But some people were just full time actors. They did not do any stunts. Mainly the directors, the assistant director, who is the one who kind of made the extras in the audience do goofy things mm -hmm. and run around, um, and the uh, the. Uh, the last one is the um, slate, which is the uh, it's almost always a female character who has the, the clapboard mm -hmm. and it would say, you know, take one mark and clap clapper. Um, uh, I'm sorry, I'm getting that mixed up. I, I apologize. That no that character, the, the slate character was actually a backup Marion. Um, okay. The, the okay. other the other acting role. So director, assistant director and casting director. The casting director pulled people out of the audience. That's a female character. The assistant director made them do some goofy things in between scenes and, and ran around. And then the director was the person in charge saying, here's how this works and here's the behind scenes action. So those three roles were primarily acting roles that some, some people would cross train into. But to answer your question, um, the three main role, the three roles that the show couldn't exist without are Indiana Jones, Marion Ravenwood, and the German mechanic. Those mm -hmm. three roles had to be there. So all three of those roles all have a backup role on set in the show, every single show. See, the back of Indiana Jones was the director of photography. Um, okay. he, he would come out and just say, uh, we're going to dolly camera B across here and shoot camera A at 36 frames per second, blah, blah, blah. He has like two lines in the whole show, yeah. just space filler, really. But that person, if you look at that person, it tends to be about the same height and size yeah. and look of an Indiana Jones because it typically was. Um, so if, if Indy were, you know, say Indy calls in sick or has car trouble that morning and there are no subs available, well, that person jumps out of that role, plays Indiana Jones, and you can do a show without that role. The, the mm -hmm. director of photography is not mandatory. Um, so I mentioned, I, I messed up earlier, that the backup Marion is the slate person. So typically female with a clapboard because typically that person is the backup Marion, same thing. Um, and the third one is more the fun one, the backup of the giant, the German mechanic is the explosives expert. Okay. Um, he has one of the one of the lines in, the, in that yeah. show that actually still kind of holds up comedy wise. Lots of times, funny lines don't really make people laugh, but this one's kind of, you well, he comes out and, and is, is egged on by the director to explain how you work explosives. Yeah. And his line is, and he, you know, the question is, tell people how dangerous it is working explosives. And his answer is, we work explosives, it's dangerous. Thank you. And he leaves. And that, that's his whole line. And it, it always gets a chuckle. It's worthy of a chuckle. Um, but that person tends to be six foot two or six foot four or whatever. And the reason why is because that's the backup giant. Yeah. So, um, so that, that answers your question in a very long way. Some cross-training goes on, but for those three roles, we always had a person and a backup there. And in fact, if someone got hurt during the show, that person runs back and yeah. changes and finishes the show. And I've done that both as the as the direct photography. When the indie got hurt, I ran back and changed and came out and did the fight with the giant myself. And once I got hurt, someone had to run back and change into that costume and become Indiana Jones to finish the show. So it doesn't happen, knock on wood, that often. But when it does, it's good to provide the audience with the show that they expect to see. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of, a lot of potential quick changes for sure. Yeah. Um, and you, you mentioned it. One thing that I think a lot of people enjoy with the show is people from the audience do come into the show. Right. Um, and there is a scene where the audience is in the stunt scene. Mm -hmm. um, kind of walk us through the sort of the, the 
I guess, do's and don'ts or, or how you bring people who are untrained, how you bring people in from a crowd mm-hmm. and you actually have them in a scene and you, you have to ensure their safety as, yeah. as well as their entertainment and everyone else's. Yeah. Well, the, the good news here and this is you have some help. Um, and I guess I need to go ahead and give away the gag if, you know, of the, the shill, if I, if just, just to tell the story, I have to, in case you haven't seen the show, this will give part of it away. But one of the extras they pull from the audience is an actor. Um, they typically wear a very bright pink rainbow you know, colored shirt so you can find them in the audience. And they're always in the same vicinity of the, mm-hmm. of the so the, the casting director can find them. It's usually the last person they call down. So it's always, it's always random extras all the way through until the very last person mm-hmm. is this person they pick. And, and they come down and you know, they, they kind of have little gags, they do little jokes. But at the very, very end of the whole sequence of the extras, they ask for a volunteer and he gets volunteered every time and Marion just beats him up, mm-hmm. <laughs> like to show how stunts work. And you don't realize he's fake until all of a sudden like, oh, look, it's a stunt man. Everyone cheer for so-and-so who played this pretend you know, audience member. But the point of that is the, another vo- focus of having that person in the show, um, it tends to be a male because having a woman beat a man up tends to not have as violent of an honest reaction of seeing a woman get beat up. Mm-hmm. Um, and that we can address sexism in, in film at some point if you like, but, but that it tends to have a better audience reaction. Marion mm-hmm. beating up a man will not freak people out like Marion beating up another woman. So it tends to be a, tends to be a male character and so you have your casting director who is basically in charge of keeping all those extras together during that scene you're talking about, which is the scene, the fighting Cairo scene. They stand upstage away from the audience, kind of clustered together in a little area where they can just kind of cheer and jump around and wave and pretend they're shopping or whatever. So on the, on the stage right side of them is the casting director. The stage left side of them is this extra, this actor who's pretending to be an extra, but he's, he's also in charge of keeping anybody from straggling. Yeah. So when the cast director says, all right, everybody move over here now, then he's in the back making sure everyone goes. <laughs> so someone doesn't, someone doesn't wander off yeah. because if that person wanders in the middle of stuff, they could get in the middle of a fight or they yeah. could get something hit or dropped on them. And that's the last thing you want is have an audience member get injured. So they do a very good job of basically if someone goes the wrong way and they won't stop. They will grab them and drag them over. Thankfully, most extras are pretty excited about being there and they do what they're told, but um, they do have help to keep them in place. Well, and that's that I... <clears throat> I, I was careful about trying to give away the the the, the reveal also, but the yeah. so that 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 makes sense because that person is always playing kind of the irreverent role or mm-hmm. kind of the aloof role. And mm-hmm. when you said they are responsible for making sure there's no stragglers, that person themselves kind of looks like a straggler. Like they're one right. they're wandering around, they're they're looking at the scene. And they they're always last. Like <laughs> yeah, they look like someone who just <clears throat> can't believe that they are there and they're, they're yeah. trying to take it all in and everything. Yeah. Right. Um, and so does, and does that person, um, do they tra- cross train for anything else or is that primarily their right. role? Uh, that, that is considered a resting stunt role. Okay. They still do stunts because of the fight, but that is again, with some exceptions of people cross training in weird circumstances is, is one of the, the tumbler roles. Okay. So in that second okay. scene, when Indy is being chased by, it's typically six people um, who are dressed up like locals of Cairo. Um, and then there's also someone dressed up in a black suit, the German agent, we call that person from the movie. 
um, who drives the truck in and just kind of runs around and picks up swords when the fights are done. I mean, they're, they're all, everyone has backup roles they're doing, you're not noticing. But Indy is basically fighting six people. And then the seventh one is the German agent in the black suit. And then the eighth one is the person playing, we call them the shill, the okay. pretend audience member. And they cycle through that role because chasing Indy around and doing all those tumbling passes and high falls and getting kicked and punched and, and running is exhausting and really hard on those performers' bodies. So that shill role is a basically like, all you gotta do is run around and, and jump up and down. And no, it's not hard at all. You do one little, take a couple punches and you're done. So it's basically considered, if you're, if you're feeling a little beat up, you say, can I do shill today? Cause my, my knees are sore, my back is yeah. sore. And people like to help each other out to make sure no one's gonna get hurt. Um, if everyone's feeling okay, then they do, they try to go through it equally. So everyone gets a break because you get the same pay, just do less work. So yeah. it's a, it's considered a resting role for the, for the tumblers. Well, and it, it's interesting because in the show, um, kind of the, the director is explaining, or it's either director or Indiana, I can't remember, but the, it's explained why there are stunt people. Yeah. And there's actually a statement that says, you know, if you have, someone like Harrison Ford or someone who is kind of the, the marquee player in the movie and they get hurt mm -hmm. then you have to shut down production for, yep. for so long. So uh, that's why you have people to do these stunts. And in this show, that's why you have multiple backups that can, that have cross trained and they can do different things. And um, so, yeah, if you'll, there, there's some other questions that I think pertain to, to all of the shows you've worked on. Yep. So if you'll, if you'll give us an overview of the sure. other shows as well. Yeah, so very briefly, um, this, the second show I did after I got trained at Indiana Jones and, and a couple of other roles. I got, I got Indy and I got director and blah, blah, blah. Um, the next one was Fantasmic, uh, which is uh, the end of day show at Disney's, now, now called Disney's Hollywood Studios, um, in lieu of a fireworks show, which now they have fireworks as well. Mm -hmm. they, they have a Star Wars fight. So anyway, but at the time it was the one end of day show. And it's just a big 30 minute extravaganza of basically every character. Um, and there's, it's on an island and there's a moat and there's a boat that goes by and, and these big, huge, amazing scenes and water screens come up for projections. In one scene, one sequence of that, there's about a, a five minute scene that's from the movie Pocahontas, which wasn't exactly one of the biggest hits, but it certainly lent itself well to this environment of this show. Um, and uh, I, would, I, would play, I would play John Smith, the Pocahontas love interest who would come out and appear halfway up the mountain and do a big rope swing across the mountain and, and then climb up and then pose. It was just one stunt. There are also four other, at the time, four other stunt performers who would do fights on the ground when the British settlers are fighting the Native Americans in this whole scene. Um, it's usually, it's mostly characters who just kind of run around and, and wave and chase each other, but don't really fight because once you start fighting, it becomes a stunt and it becomes an equity issue with contracts. So they can't technically fight or else they're breaking the contract um but you bring in four other stunt people and they would do real knockdown drag out fights like they're punching and kicking and throwing and falling and so you had a couple of real fights amongst all the kind of dancey fights plus john smith um without getting off track a couple of those roles got eliminated so now they just have john smith and two other stunt performers they just saved some budget by cutting a couple of roles out but in any case so I played all those fight roles on the floor and most often John Smith, just because I had a certain look they wanted for John Smith. I put on a blonde wig, which, which is always fun. But anyway, um, so that was the second one I did. And then, uh, oh, there was a, a short-lived street stunt show at Universal Studios called the Swashbucklers, 
the idea was basically three performers are coming off set of this big epic uh, um, sword fighting show that they're you know movie that they're shooting and they're going to come here and talk to the lowly people in the street about what it's like to be a stunt person and and we just and then we get into of course yelling at each other and fighting they start fighting for real that's that was the stick of the show yeah. about a 20 30 minute show in the street where we'd come out on a like a float from a parade basically and then we'd banter around for a while and fight um and and it was just a just so much fun i can't tell you i i loved that show i was so sad when it went away it only went for one summer uh back in gosh 2002 i think um well before universal studios parks got the harry potter edition mm -hmm. which has helped them you know explode into popularity uh, at the time they didn't have that much money and they were struggling so they didn't they would try different things and it didn't last but it was a lot of fun um and then the final one that I, I got into was Lights, Motors, Action, which was a is unfortunately no longer there because they replaced it with the new Star Wars land, which was financially a great choice because Star Wars is like the juggernaut of that park right now. Um, other areas are popular too, like the Toy Story area and mm -hmm. everything, but but this is Star Wars is such a big thing right now. Um, and so, uh, but it was a is a car and motorcycle based stunt show. So the stunts weren't as much people. There were some physical stunts. But it was mainly cars and motorcycles doing extraordinary things. I did not drive the car, ride the motorcycle. Those guys are, and women, men and women were incredibly talented and incredibly well, years of training. Um, uh, I was brought over there actually because at the, after I've been in Indiana Jones for a number of years, very long story, very short, um, I was moved into management because they sort of saw that I had a little bit of leadership ability, maybe because I'd run that company for a while and I had a degree and I was, I was a lead backstage, which meant I had administrative roles dealing with scheduling and pay and everything with our cast. They moved me into a, a stunt manager role at Disney at the Lights, Motors, Action stunt show because there are not that many managers at Disney who had a stunt background. Mm -hmm. So that was an odd combination. They saw a real value in me to that. So they said, we're going to grab you over here, put your Lights, Motors, Action as a stunt manager, which meant I was in charge of calling the cues during the show for when the cars and motorcycles went and stopped. Um, and make sure everyone stays. If something goes wrong, I have to call the abort really fast to stop someone from getting into a wreck. And if there's an, is an accident, you have to deal with it. And there's a, it's a very long, complex situation. But did that, and then I became the stage manager there as well, which is calling the cues from the booth. Um, and eventually, that led to me being able to jump into a sub role as a as the stunt coordinator character in that show, which is basically just talking about the stunts and how they worked but also doing one stunt in the show. The big 50 foot high fall off top of a building was my role there. So I was able to get out of management back into the stunt coordinator, stunt acting role in that show. And I kind of went back and forth from manager to stunt performer back and forth until the show closed, at which point I decided this has been amazing. I love it so much, but nothing will ever compare to being a stunt person. So I'm going to go teach about stunts and that's what I do now. <laughs> so there you go. And the, um, the, yeah, I want I want to talk about what what you're doing now um, mm -hmm. at UCF uh, and just a little bit as well to to kind of what you what you teach there, um, specific with the the shows. Um, so, Fantasmic is as you said there there's a a segment of the show where there are stunts performed. Yes, Indiana Jones Epic Stunt Spectacular, Lights Motors Action completely stunt oriented yep. with a little bit of dialogue in between. Yeah. Interstitial, um, yeah. The, can you walk us through and how you, 
how a show like those are initially planned. So how you know where Indiana Jones is going to, when he gets hit, he's going to fall and how he's not going to, he's going to fall in a particular place, not mm-hmm. this place. And the same as in the, uh, the lights motor lights, motors action. Um, I, I saw that I've seen the show once mm-hmm. the way those cars and those motorcycles yeah. zoom across that stage and they, they, slide skid i don't know the proper terminology drift yeah yeah the way they drift and they stop in a very i mean what i imagine well-planned area that's exactly where they need to stop Mm -hmm. how do you go about originally planning those shows Mm -hmm. and then kind of what is the day-to-day or show-to-show preparation for each one of those because i imagine it's something like when a pilot goes out and before they fly a plane, they do an hour check of the plane to make sure everything <laughs> is okay. Like you, you yep. want to go into shows, making sure everyone is as safe as possible. Can you walk mm-hmm. us through those? Yeah, sure. Sure. From a, from a design perspective, um, all of these shows bring in professional stunt coordinators, uh, often from the film industry because they've done this kind of thing all the time. Um, the difference between doing a stunt in film and doing a stunt in, a, in an ongoing stunt show in a theme park is it, it's, that, it's just that repetition mm-hmm. because you don't want to have, uh, you don't throw caution to the wind in, in a film, but if you're going to do a stunt once or maybe just three or four times to get the best angles right and make sure it looks great, that's one thing. If you're going to do it five times a day, mm-hmm. every single day for decades, it can't be without it, it can't it can't you can't just throw caution to the wind mm-hmm. because numbers will catch up with you sometimes someone will get seriously injured um having said that people still have despite the, the safety precautions put in place because usually because something crazy goes wrong it's not because someone's not paying attention to their role or because they're not taking it seriously it's usually a mechanical failure or just some freak fluke circumstance some things went wrong um but it, it's that maintenance of there's going to be a high fall pad for Indiana Jones to land on it's going to be in this area. Let's measure that. How far is the arc going to be? Let's, let's, do the, let's do the physics on this. What's the push-off going to be? What's, how can this person land the most safely again and again and again and again and not get hurt? Um, so they find the right materials to land on, the right space that they need. What's going to make this? It, has, it can't go so safe that it doesn't look like it's exciting, but it also can't be so dangerous that there's a high proportional mm-hmm. chance that they're going to be injured all the time. So find that balance in between is, is really well done by professional stunt coordinators who tend to have been people who were stunt performers themselves for years. And then they learn about how the technical behind the scenes stuff works and they start coordinating them, designing them themselves. So we bring in experts for the Indiana Jones show. They brought in the original fight coordinator from the Indiana Jones films. Um, for Lice Motors Action, uh, we brought in, they actually the Lice Motors Action show started in Paris, France and still exists there in mm-hmm. fact. And they, they copied it for the most part. If you've seen that show over there, which I was looking at to see last year, before uh, the year two years ago now, before the pandemic, um, uh, it, it's eighty percent the same, and there are other some modifications to it. But um, they brought in some very experienced stunt uh, car stunt people to examine that and make some changes to it, and then teach the drivers here how to do those things. Um, and it it's a it's a rigorous process. So once it's designed, and you know, when you first cast a show, it's your first cast, and you. And like with the, with, so with the Swashbuckler show, I was the opening cast for that show. And unfortunately the closing cast as well. 
But um, that was, let's go work the kinks out in rehearsals. Because we tried different locations. We tried different choreography. We tried different lines. This isn't quite working. Let's move this over here. Okay, this is great. All right, now we can do that. And that, that becomes the new set thing. You're, you're evolving as you go. Once the show's been around for a while and is established and running, like Indiana Jones has been for so long, or like uh, Last Morning's Action was, um, you, just, you hire new people. When, when someone leaves or retires or gets a job, you have to bring in new people all the time. And that just becomes, A, the process is the auditioning process, is can they do the skills you need them to do to hold that role? Um, and if you find people who have the right skill set, then you put them into training. And again, you might not pass the training, but if you do, it is in between every show, you can have quick rehearsal sequences. At, at Indiana Jones, we, we call it EPIC for short, the Indiana Jones EPIC sounds, but we call it EPIC. So if I say EPIC or LMA for Lights, Motors, Action, that's, we call it LMA because you can't say these terms all the time. Yeah. So at EPIC, um, we would start rehearsals at maybe six in the morning because the first show is until 10, 30 or 11. So we'd have hours of the stage all to ourselves with no audience around where we can practice the fights and practice the falls and practice cracking the whip with nobody around. Um, uh, Lights, Motors, Action, same thing. You come in before the first show and then between shows when the audience is gone, but all the stage is set up and the, and the mats are out on, at Epic or the, you know, the, the props are all out at LMA, you can drive around on stage and not distract from the show, but practice on the actual location. Um, and it's a very rigorous process for both of those before you're put in. And you'll, you'll go in one piece at a time. Indiana Jones, you tend to go and do scene one, which is, which is as we agree, I think, this, I think is the most fun scene, but it's also just you as a performer and the stunt. There's no, other, no one else around you have to deal with, are they gonna do the same, are you on the same page? The second thing you put into show is the last scene, because it's you versus really two, two opponents, which is the giant and the airplane. So you're, it's three characters basically running around that scene. And then the last one you finally get in the show is the middle scene, which has six tumblers and a German agent and, and everything and the million stunts and the million things happening. So you just, you develop, you, you'll just go out and do scene one, the, you know, the cave scene, and that's it. Do that for, you know, once you're trained up, you do that show, you know, once, you know, three or four times a day for a week or so. And then eventually you go to the third scene for a couple of weeks. Then eventually do the second scene for a couple of weeks. Then you kind of add into the whole show together. So they really, they ease you into it without throwing you in so fast that A, you're going to get hurt or B, you would do a bad show. Um, same thing with the, with LMA, the car show. You, you would just do part of a scene and then someone else would jump in the car and finish the show for the next couple of scenes. So you, you ease into it like that. And what type of kind of, I guess, uh, technical modifications or precautions are there? Like um, in, the, in the Indiana Jones show, there, there's a lot of fire in the, the car show as well. But there's a yep. lot of fire that, and sometimes people catch on fire. Yep. So obviously, you know, they're, yeah, <laughs> obviously yeah. they're, yeah, I should say that. Yeah. <laughs> it is, it's part of the show. They're, they're obviously, you know, they're prepared for that Mm -hmm. on a set, how much, what precautions are taken to make sure that, um, if something goes wrong, it's going to be, I guess, as you're going to not, you try to decrease the chance of someone seriously getting hurt sure like minimize the, your worst possible option. yeah yeah in, in the first scene of indiana jones there's mm -hmm. you know there's spikes that come out of the ground and things like yep. that like what type of technical modifications are made to to keep precaution in mind sure so there are, 
there are a lot of things on the set that you can't tell from the audience. And so I'm giving you some real behind the scenes secrets here, which we, we do this when we give tours on stage. So it's not like this is a, I'm not disallowed from saying these things. We don't advertise them a lot because it takes the magic away. But, um, but the truth is there are things on those stages that keep them safer than they look. And one of those, which you mentioned is those spikes coming out of the ground. That's a great example. Uh, first, they are, the spikes themselves uh, are PVC pipe with a foam rubber tip. So if it hits you, it's not going to puncture you. Yeah. And that, it's impossible for that foam rubber to break your skin, basically. Now, it comes up fast. It's an hydraulic system. Um, or is it pneumatic? I'm, dr I'm drawing a blank. Anyway, it comes up really fast. And if it hits you, it's going to hurt. Mm. And we've all gotten hit in the face. Or, and that's, that's, uh, uh, it looks bad. And it feels bad. And it's not fun. Um, but it's not going to kill you. Yeah. Um, it, it's the biggest issue there is it's going to look stupid because you got hit by a spike and it bounced off you. Um, here's another example. The airplane that's spinning around while Indiana Jones is fighting the giant, the propellers on that airplane are also PVC pipe covered with big foam rubber props that, okay. that look yeah. like the real metal thing. Um, if you Google this on YouTube, you can, or you can you, you know, do a search on YouTube. You can find you know, things going wrong in Indiana Jones stunt show, and there are plenty. Um, there's one I've, I have seen happen in real life and also on YouTube where the, the props hit somebody and they basically break off. Yeah. They're designed to snap off if they hit you as opposed to knock you out. Um, and I, I describe it because I've been hit by them too. I'm not going to lie. They hit me when I did a bad show. I missed my angle and I got hit by the props. Well, when they snap off, it feels like someone hits you really hard with a wiffle ball bat. So it's not, it doesn't feel great. Yeah. It doesn't really hurt that much, but it looks stupid because now you look like Superman because the props broke off and I'm like, <laughs> this doesn't look like it's a real stunt anymore. Now yeah. it's not dangerous and you take away. That's more about show quality than about danger, but it's better to have that go wrong yeah. and looks dumb than have someone's arm get cut off, right? Yeah. That would be a really bad show. Yeah. So there are a lot, and even with a car show, um, the, as dangerous as it was, and it definitely was dangerous, um, the people in the cars, the men and women who drove those cars were in crash cages with mm -hmm. protective gear and six point harnesses and helmets. And, and it's as safe as it could be if they were to wreck. And there were some pretty rough wrecks that people walked away from. Luckily, um, the worst danger on this, on that show was the motorcycle riders, because they had, you're on a motorcycle, you mm -hmm. get hit by a car and that happened too. They, they would go flying across the stage. And that's, that's a, a violent horrible situation that you don't want to ever happen. Um, but it's, it, you know, that's why you'd have all the safety precautions you can. And you have several sets of eyes at every angle, like the stunt stunt manager is making the call. The driver's also checking the most driver is checking two safety assistants on the wings are checking and making sure nothing's going wrong. Cause if something goes wrong that someone can't see one person has to call abort over the radio mm -hmm. and everyone stops. No questions asked. It's just like someone says abort. That means you stop. And the louder and the faster they say it, the more dangerous it is. So if you're okay, guys, we need to call this down. So let's go ahead and we'll abort right there. And then you got, you kind of ease into it. But if you hear abort, 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 that means someone's about to hit somebody and someone might get killed and everyone's finds their brakes on, no matter where you are. Cause it might be you, it might not be you, but it doesn't matter. Everyone stop before someone gets hurt. So it, you do what you can to make it as safety backups as many as, poss as many as possible. Well, and uh, that's one of those things I mentioned at the beginning, like when I first watched the Epic stunt show, I, I wanted to see the stunts. I, 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 I want to see the action. And then after seeing it a few times, I appreciated more and more kind of behind the scenes and, and the talking about it that, you know, um, I would imagine if somebody gets hit by a spike or somebody gets hit by a propeller, that kind of, you know, people are just trained to say, here's, 
here's why this happens. Right. You know, here, here's why um, these are, these are made this way. And I remember I did see a video of the boulder coming off track and yes. actually bouncing over to the, Towards the audience went in the audience. No, it bounced um, off the front wall though. Yeah. But, um, and that's, you know, I don't know if you saw a few, probably, I don't know, it might be four or five years ago. Now the, there was a kind of a popular social media craze where people would do the boulder run. Um, and they, oh, yeah, they would have yes. these big boulders that they would push down. And actually, um, for the last few weekends, uh, we have a, it's not a, a big boulder. It's not a big ball, but there's a kind of a bigger bouncy ball that we have that mm-hmm. uh, my boys have really gotten into to doing that. I'll, I'll tell them to run and then I'll roll it after them. And they, they, <laughs> That's great. We'll, we'll play the music and they think it's fun. And so then, yeah. um, and then, you know, I, I, I also balance that with, I walk in my house and I see, okay, here's something I hope they're not going to try to climb and, and do. Right. or jump off of. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And so, I, can t- I can tell you real quick back about why, how to keep the boulder roll safe too, if you want. Yeah. Um, if anyone's looking at my picture, this is actually from the film. Um, this one's actually not from, from the show. It's actually from the movie, but it, it's similar. But if you look at it from that angle, as you're seeing the boulder come toward you in the show, which is what you have behind you there. Um, it's actually a trench that it goes has straight on the side at a little angle and then flat across the bottom. Mm-hmm. But because the boulder is round, you know, there's a space below that. So it's rolling along these pipes on the edge of that trench and below it is a gap. And it's not much of a gap, but if you as Indiana Jones, so you, you run down the trench with a boulder behind you, you let it catch up to you, make it look really scary. You can let, I let it rub on me sometimes, like it's rubbing my hat off almost. It's like really, and then you go down, there's a deeper part. It's about two feet deep. And you see it, it's, it's lit, it's uh, outlined by, by rope lights. So you can see it in the dark. You run out of trench, run, run, run. You look behind you for the boulder and you look ahead, you look scared and you see that, those lights. And once it gets there, you just, you just let yourself fall and the boulder passes over you by two feet. Um, however, if you were to fall early, let's say you just trip, which all of us have done. I'll admit it. I tripped once early and, and fell. If you lay totally flat, like you think Superman, and you flatten on that stage, on that on that trench, it'll miss you, not by much, like little by a couple of inches, but it's not going to squash you. Um, if the bad thing is, if your head is up, it'll conk your head, and you'll hit a, hit your head in the ground in front of you. Or if someone's arm is up, it can dislocate your shoulder. Right? There are things that can go wrong, but it's not going to. You won't die. It, it's you know, at best case, nothing happens. It looks stupid. Uh, worst case is you might get you know banged around a little bit, but that's part of the job. Um, and then the last gag of it too is it's. It does weigh about 250 pounds, so it's not like it's nothing, but it doesn't weigh 10,000 pounds. Yeah. It's it's basically like a giant basketball. It's hollow, um, and so if it rolled over you, it wouldn't feel great, but it wouldn't cause yeah. that much damage. So there, there you go. That's that's one of the most fun stunts, which that gag is given away in the show as well yeah. as you as you know. So um, there you go. All right, there's a little more behind the scenes you may, you probably wanted. <laughs> no, 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 that's perfect. <laughs> that's that uh, as I as I said, I I have all of these questions that I. Feel like in some ways I don't know how to ask because I, <laughs> I I don't know kind of the background of all of this stuff and so what you're what you're telling us is is amazing. Uh, oh good. And and I, I'm sure as we talked about also I'm sure people will have questions and um, maybe that will lead to to trying to do something live where people live. can, can I'd be, ask. I'd be my pleasure. Um, yeah. And so I did I do want to transition and, and leave behind the other probably 50,000 questions I have. <laughs> sure. Um, 
what you're doing right now, um, you are teaching at the yep. University of Central Florida um, right. in the Rosen College. And mm -hmm. so can you walk us through um, what you teach there um, and kind of some of the classes and some of the students that you work with? Sure. Or I, sure. I guess the, the program you work in. Sorry. Yeah, no, no problem at all. Um, I, I'll mention very briefly, I had a, a one divergence before I got to the program I'm in right now was um, actually I taught at another school in Orlando the year I left Disney um, because the program I'm teaching in right now didn't exist yet. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it only started in 2017. Um, but in 2016, that school year, uh, I taught in the math department at Valencia College here in Orlando because I was a math major and I was always planning on teaching math someday anyway when I couldn't be a stuntman anymore. I thought, well, now's my chance. I'll go teach math. I loved it. I love teaching math. I know that sounds weird because math is not everyone's favorite thing, but I had fun and I love Valencia. It's a great college. Um, but they started this brand. I, I was also teaching one class per semester at UCF's Rosen College of Hospitality Management, um, teaching theme park management. They did teach it. They had a theme park track. They still do have a theme park track uh, degree. And because I had years of experience as a, not just a performer, but as a manager at Disney, uh, and I could teach, I had a master's degree at the time, I, I was qualified. So I, I offered and they said, yeah, that'd be great. So I came out and started teaching a class there. So fast forward a year, um, they were announcing a brand new program is the entertainment management program at UCF, at, at Rosen College at UCF. And um, they're looking for new faculty. And they hired, I guess, maybe four of us that first year, I'm trying to think one, two, three, three of us the first year. And um, uh, so we teach entertainment management. So that's what I came in teaching was that. Uh, intro to the entertainment industry. I teach a production management class, entertainment leadership class, a class called entertainment arts and events, which is about a kind of production side of entertainment events. And, um, and the nice thing I have about that is because I have been a performer and a stuntman and a manager at theme parks that has relevant experience. Um, outside of this, which I, I have too many stories to tell, I've done some film work as well as an actor and a stunt person nothing big. I wasn't like an Avengers. I did, I did little small things in Florida. Um, and, uh, and I have my own production company when we, we made a feature film and we're working on some small things just kind of for fun. So I have production background as well. So I'm able to teach these classes from the experience of what I've had. So it's not just, here's what the book says. It's like, when this happened, here's, a way, here's how we dealt with it. Or when a student says, what would you do in this case? I can say, well, that happened and here's what we did. And here's what maybe what we did wrong and we could do better next time. But bringing that real experience into teaching in the classroom has been a, a real benefit, I think. Yeah, and um, I mean, you, in that in that answer, you you brought up seven other eight other questions that <laughs> <laughs> I do that. This would this would, this interview could go on for four hours. Uh, <laughs> the um, I promise it won't. That's okay. Um, but the you you brought up um, in films, and I wanted to ask about films. And are they, how similar are stunts and the, the coordination, how similar are they in films, big budget, um, medium budget, um, to what they are as far as putting together a show for a theme park? Um, the big budget ones are the most similar because they have the ability to bring everyone together for weeks and rehearse. Okay. Uh, and they should to look as good as they want to look. Um, if you're going to have a massively complex fight scene with 10 people in it, uh, something like the, you know, any of the Bourne films, which now has mm -hmm. a Bourne stunt show at Universal Studios. 
very complex and ornate, even if it's two people, that's a very long process. Um, one of the most famous fights in films of, of all of contemporary times anyway, is the, the sword fight in The Princess Bride, mm -hmm. which is honestly one of my favorite scenes of all time, because that's kind of my thing. And I would say of all the stunts I do, stage combat, this, the fighting stuff, and the, especially sword weapon fighting, has become really my passion. I, I do teach on the side classes in how to sword fight, stage combat sword fighting. So that's just, I really love that stuff, the storytelling aspect of, yeah. of how, what, what's happening in a fight. It's not just a fight, it's a story. But anyway, um, they need, and they, they, used, they had months, probably six months. I read the book about the making of that film. They probably spent six months training to get that two and a half minute fight to look as good as it did. Mm -hmm. So um, if you have that kind of budget and that kind of time, you can do amazing things. And it's, that would be similar to a theme park in that you have weeks of rehearsal before you do anything in front of an audience. Um, if you're looking at a medium budget, you, know, you can do some of that, not quite as much. If you're talking small budget, which you know, in the film industry, under a million dollars is considered low budget, which is crazy yeah, numbers, yeah. right? Under a hundred thousand is considered ultra low budget. So you throw 50 grand away, it's like, it's like nothing in the film industry, which is crazy. Um, but at that point, you're getting some volunteers, people are, are helping out for nothing. Um, your stunt coordinator might be also in all the scenes, not just mm -hmm. watching them. I've done that myself on small films where I'll, I'll design the fight and also be one of the fighters. Um, so it, it's, it ends up depending on your budget, but Usually once you get the smaller budget, it's not only do you have less rehearsal time, but it's not gonna be quite as complex, might not look quite as good. You don't have quite as many takes, not quite as many angles, uh, just cause you're just trying to make it, just get through it without anybody getting hurt and tell the story. So um, I, I, all I can say comparing the two, they're, they're very different. And the biggest reason why, like I said earlier is it's, it's a one or two time shot versus five times a day for you know five days a week for 10 years uh, or more. And, but it, more than that, it's just how much time do you have to prepare in advance? Yeah. And on, for someone who is working in one of the shows, mm -hmm. uh, in, in a theme park show where you're doing it four or five times a day, uh, and there's that repetition, kind of what is the psyche behind, or how does someone prepare for a show that they know they are going to do? You just finished your third show, you have an hour, and the fourth show's coming up. How does mm -hmm. someone prepare for that? Um, you know, people ask a lot if we have rehearsals to keep ourselves sharp. The truth is doing the show is mm -hmm. basically rehearsal. Now, if something goes wrong, you can pull people out and say, let's do a brush up because this, this scene doesn't look very good. That would happen occasionally. Or the director wants to change something and we'll make modifications to it. But generally just doing the show is your constant rehearsal. Um, I would say to answer your question about how do you mentally prepare, mentally prepare in Orlando, Florida in the summer, the biggest part of it is the heat. Yeah. And it's just, and that is, I've, I've promise you it's 90% mental and 10% physical just getting out there to do it again when you just know you can't it's so hot and so mm -hmm. humid and you're just beaten down it's if you can't even get up off the couch you can't do a show once you get out there um it's hard work but the, I'm not gonna lie it what a what a blast I mean what can be more fun than running around with a bunch of friends dressed up in a character costume and and pretending to you know yeah. you know crack a whip and fight somebody you know it's just play acting um, so the fun takes over a bit, um, but the flip side of, of the mental strain of it is you have to always be in shape and you really, you can't let yourself just, you can't go home and have eight cheeseburgers and whatever. Yeah. A lot of us worked out. I mean, we would, if we, as indie, you typically just do two or three shows in a day, um, maybe even one. The tumblers though would do five. Um, that's just their typical matrix. And uh, so they get beat up a little bit more of the pounding of that tumbling stuff. But a lot of performers will do a couple of shows, have lunch, 
do a show, go to the gym and lift weights, you know, and then, and then go home. So, you know, that's, I mean, we just had that constant necessity that working out wasn't just because you want to feel good or look good. It's, it's going to keep you safe. So um, as long as you're mentally prepared for it and you can push through and then, and you're physically sharp, then um, it's, it's a grind. Yeah. Uh, we can, we describe that in a theme park stunt show, even theme park performance in general. It's if you're a vocal performer, your vocal, your vocal cords get ground. If you're a character performer, you're out in that costume or blazing in the sun for hours. That's why we always wait for January. It's wonderful. <laughs> when yeah. It's not hot anymore. <laughs> you can go outside. It's going to be in, in Orlando and in, in January, it's going to be 70. It's going to be yeah. fantastic. Um, but uh, it's, it's a combination of the, of the mental strength to push through it. And then the physical, uh, the knowledge you need to be physically ready for whatever's going to come at you. Okay. The, I think the last thing before we do our, our rapid fire is um, you had mentioned earlier um, where you were talking about the, the, the gag goes over better or there's, there's more of a crowd reaction if a man is being beat up by a woman. Yeah. Kind of, what do you see the future of um, performances being uh, in movies and in, in, in stunt shows on on increased inclusion um for mm. by gender but also um by different racial back makeup ethnic yep. backup mm-hmm. ethnic backgrounds um well, how do you see that progressing yeah so the interesting thing is that one thing i would say that theme parks do very well um universal from my small experience and disney from my larger experience um if a character is not required to have a certain look like, like to be Indiana Jones, you, they want you between 25 and 35. It helps to have brown hair, but it's not required. You need to be Caucasian and um, you need to be physically fit uh, and at least kind of resemble Harrison Ford somewhat, um, which means they can't have, a, they, they, they won't have a black Indiana Jones. They mm-hmm. won't have an Asian Indiana Jones. They just, they won't because you don't resemble a character you must resemble. Same way you have to have Someone who looks like Cinderella or Snow White or Jasmine or Tiana, they have to have the racial mm-hmm. appearance of those characters. Um, anything that's not required to look like a character, then they do a great job of making sure that it looks like everybody. So, so there were um, tumblers who would chase us around who were every race you can imagine. They had male and female. Um, sexual identity doesn't really come out in the role necessarily, doesn't need to in that, in that instance. But that certainly was never a factor. Anybody of any LGBTQ plus was always welcome. So um, that that's a great thing. If you're not required to be an actual lookalike of a character, then Disney makes a great effort to not just have all mm-hmm. the same. Uh, there's a role I was hoping to play someday, the, the Jedi Master in this Jedi Training Academy, training kids how to do little sword fighting things. Um, they had, the first few they hired were white guys who looked kind of like me. And, um, you know, I, nothing's ever officially said out loud, but I think it, the vibe was pretty well taken that we need to get away from that. And I respect that. And I'm like, you know what? I got my first job at Disney because I look like this. I cannot be upset. I didn't get that job because I look like this because they want to have more women in that role, people of color in that role, people of different ages. That's great. And I'm glad they did that. And, and I fully support that. So I think there's a real effort to do that. In film, uh, I think the stunt industry maybe doesn't always... Um, I wouldn't say that they're quite as, they don't advertise themselves as that as much as like the acting roles of not whitewashing cast and not, and making sure you have, you know, massive inclusion. It's really about, do you have the skills to do the job? Mm -hmm. If you have the right skills, then the rest doesn't matter. 
Um, and I, I think there's a value to bringing in people of different backgrounds and perspectives, as long as they can be safe and do a good job, then I think people are aware that there's value to that. And stunt coordinators and stunt performers know that as well. And diversity is certainly growing in the stunt industry and in film as well. Um, and, and to your point earlier, there are certainly fights of men versus women, women versus women, women versus men, uh, who wins the fight. Um, a little bit of, you know, maybe a little bit of latent misogyny hangs around of, you know, of hitting a woman is something people don't want to see, which is weird because back in the 50s, in a film, a man would slap a woman who was being quote unquote hysterical to calm her down. And that's terrible mm. that that was acceptable then. It's not acceptable now, but then you'll see, you know, Kill Bill mm -hmm. and, you know, and you'll see Uma Thurman go out there and fight 50 you know, men and women, but you know, certainly she held her own and she was great in that tons of training so anyway that i think there's there's a lot to be said for the way it's going and the way the way it's evolving and i think it continues to evolve yeah and and thanks for thanks for that observation and kind of that background of us to to where we are going as we as we progress just kind of as, as a society as a whole as we progress moving forward with with the stories yeah. that are told and and everything that um the the representation that people have i mean uh we are recording this of about a few days after, four days after the the Investor Day um, at at Disney, and right. the the stories that they introduced, and um, the stories that are being told in across all of their platforms, across all of their properties, um, and the the amount of inclusion. Um, I, I've I've really gotten into the MCU lately, and the amount mm -hmm. of um, increased inclusion that they have moving forward is really important yeah. for, oh, it's great. for everybody to see and important to have those stories told and, and people feel represented. Um, so thanks for that. Agreed. Agreed. And, and one last side note, there was a, a rumor for a while that they thought that uh, Elsa from, um, from um, Frozen might be coming out as gay in the, in mm -hmm. the second film and she didn't, but still not established. So, it, I mean, and there are rumors of, of potential, uh, openly, openly gay or bi or transgender characters coming out in future films, and it hasn't happened yet, but um, I I imagine that it will. Yeah, I think that at some point that will not be a, a stigma that that Disney has avoided for so long that they can embrace finally. Yeah. That'd be nice. Yeah, yeah. As as, as progress is made, step at a time, um, yep. and so we we need to keep taking those steps. So thanks for sure. that. The, yeah. The last thing that I like to do is uh, we kind of have some rapid fire questions that these are things you can explain all you want. You don't have to explain anything if you don't want. Okay. I'll talk to um, you about rapid fire. I talk a lot, so I'll keep and, it short. If I can. No, no, no worries. <laughs> that, as I said, this is, I, I have all these questions that I'm not even sure I know how to formulate um, to ask. Um, yeah. But so some of them will deal with parks. Um, I also, because of your unique role, I, I have some for those, but we'll start with, with the parks. Do you have, of, of the Disney properties, um, anywhere you've been, if you've been to Disneyland, if, you, if you've been, uh, I know you've been to Paris, um, obviously Walt Disney World, do you have a favorite park or a favorite gate? You know, what's funny is it's always been Hollywood Studios. Yeah previously MGM studios because I'm such a show guy and they have, they had you know, the Indiana Jones show. They had, I think being the beast is great. I even like the little mermaid. It's cute. It's a puppet show mostly, but it's cute. Um, the street performers there, street mm -hmm. performers, just so talented, so 
hilarious and fantastic. Just I, I would just go watch shows all day long. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe ride the roller coaster if I have time. But if I don't, that's okay because I want to see these shows. The other parks are great. Um, and now that uh, Animal Kingdom, uh, at least pre-pandemic, had this this wonderful show about um, Finding Nemo, just mm-hmm. phenomenally talented performers. I would just I would just go do shows, and and I could spend all day just watching shows. So I I I would say studios, Disney's Hollywood studios, because of the show factor mainly. Well, and I remember that being such a, I mean, when, when MGM Studios first opened, that was what it was. I remember, you know, the, yeah. watching the Bette Midler show, <laughs> like the short, and then yeah. them showing how they made that. And I, uh-huh. I, the first time that we went, which I believe was a few months after it opened, um, was a Dick Tracy kind of... yes green yep. screen show that you could yep. act in you know and, and that's my right cousins and i all acted in it um that just See? like kind of the purpose of that park and and what it was and so it's really good to see some of the shows still present um it'll be interesting to see in the future if if anything with galaxy's edge and with the popularity of galaxy's edge and how they're using that across mediums mm-hmm. um are they going to put in any shows specific to that and, and to show some of those those fights and yeah i i can speak to that a little bit i mean because even the more shows that i mean the backlot tour was kind of a show mm-hmm. and uh sounds dangerous with drew carey was a sound mm-hmm. effects kind mm-hmm. of a show i mean so it was just show after show um star wars i actually there's this is kind of a funny thing They're, they have a, a way for cast members you know the employees at disney to share suggestions with the company which they of course can take or ignore and you you sign off all rights to to own anything of them if you, if you give your ideas. It's called the Creative Ideas Forum. And I shared a creative idea with them myself of a Star Wars-based stunt show, mm-hmm. which I think would be amazing. I mm-hmm. mean, who doesn't want to see a really cool lightsaber battle with mm-hmm. some awesome gymnastics thrown into it and using the force and, and there are ways to incorporate stunts that I, I outlined how it could work and here's a storyline and do whatever. And I pitched it out there and they said, yeah, that's great. We're not going to do it, but thanks for your cool ideas. Um, so. We always hope that. I mean, I hate to see Indiana Jones go away. If it became a Star Wars stunt show, that would be a, a silver lining. Um, there is actually, I did talk to someone who was one of the designers of the Galaxy's Edge area. And the original idea was, along with all the, the um, they, have, they have characters who kind of come out and yeah. interact with people. Stormtroopers walk through and you can interact with them. Uh, sometimes Chewbacca will come out and different people. So, but they had ideas originally for more of that. And one of the ideas they had tossed around, and this is this is public knowledge, this isn't a secret, was they were possibly going to have Jedi being chased through, you know, by Sith mm-hmm. or or by, or by stormtroopers, um, and then to make it not be in the middle of people and running through crowds and getting hurt, they're going to be on top of the buildings. And apparently, they have rampway walkways okay. on the edge of the buildings up there that people could run by. And the idea would be, you know, draw your attention up there somehow, and then. There's people running and fighting and then the yeah. little sword fight battle and they run away. Maybe it'd be a 10 or 15 second thing, perhaps. But that, that would be great. I would love yeah. that kind of thing to happen or become an actual stunt show. Um, that would make me think about coming out of retirement and coming yeah. back into the parks to, to be a part of those because, you know, they don't need more white guys like me, but um, at least I have sword fighting background. So, who yeah. Knows? Well, and that that's kind of something I was wondering is, is, is there something that could get you back into the, the performance aspect I, of it? I would say two things. One is that, and one is if there was a rumor for a while, there's a new park being built here by Universal Studios. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're calling it Epic Universe, to use Epic Word again. And for a short while, there was a rumor they're going to do a Lord of the Rings themed okay. area yeah. of that park. If they had a Lord of the Rings 
sword show kind of thing, sword fighting. Type, I was like, oh, I, in a second, I will go audition for that because yeah. I'm all about the sword fighting and the storytelling. I actually did one last million side story. I did a fan film. I was I was cast in a fan film for Star Wars. It's called Mikazi One. It's like Kamikaze without the, without the Ka, but Mikazi One. And I played this character who was a, a Sith, basically, but um, infiltrating, dressed as a stormtrooper, ends up having a lightsaber battle against somebody else. And I choreographed the fight and, and had a, just a blast. And that, I'm like, that, that. I get why people love being in Star Wars films and other action films, because this is just the coolest thing I've yeah. ever done. And I would do that in a second. I would jump back in that kind of thing. Don't tell my boss, but <laughs> I would love I, to do that. I'm glad you said that because we, in this class, one of the classes um, is fan-made films. Yeah. And so we actually, uh, so that that's something to add is, um, is that available on YouTube? Do you know? Is uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure okay. it is. I think it might be. Yeah, it's it's just like I said, M A K A Z I E. Okay. And then the word, the word one, Makazi one. I, I'm not getting any money off of this. I'm not trying to pitch anything, <laughs> but um, but the people who made it were were did a really good job with it. I mean, it's a it's a fan film. It's not yeah. going to be you know, it's not going to win an Academy Award, but but it was a lot of fun. In fact, it did win an award from Lucas Arts when they submitted it. Okay. Uh, as best cinematography. So okay. the person who was doing the, all the camera work, Ben Lowell, a good friend of mine, is incredibly talented. He made it look fantastic. So um, just a blast. And but yeah. you know, fan, I'm a huge. If you're interested in the, in the entertainment industry in in any any part of this, I fully support going out and making your own stuff. It all it takes is you and some buddies and a, and a and a phone. You know, go yeah. out there and make a movie and have a blast and get experience and just have fun and learn. It, I, there's no better way to do it than to do it. Yeah. Well, I think that's something that that's a, a fan film that we'll we'll have to add to to have the students <laughs> okay. watch, uh, see right. a familiar Thanks. face in them. Uh, yeah. The so um, favorite park is Hollywood Studios, yep. MGM Studios. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have a favorite uh, ride attraction? Oh, that's a good question. Um, you know, I, I do. I've ridden every single ride that there is because I just I want to ride at least once. Um, honestly, I, there's no better ride to me at, at, okay. There are two, two great ones at Disney. It is, um, uh, flights of wonder at, at, uh, okay. animal kingdom, the Pandora area on um, just unbelievable technology. I mean, you're not, it's not like a roller coaster. You're it's a, it's a 3d yeah. motion thing, but it is the most technologically advanced, phenomenally realistic is super immersive. P.S. That's what I'm studying on my PhD is immersion, and that's it okay. is so yeah. immersive, it's fantastic. Um, and then the, as far as tactical rides, there's a relatively new Hagrid's roller coaster at Universal okay. Studios. Uh, just yes, I can't even. I don't want to give anything away because it has stops and starts and characters and things that happen, and it is it is just an absolutely phenomenal, phenomenal. It's the best roller coaster I personally have ever ridden as far as like cool stuff that happens on it plus it's exciting you run around yeah. real fast it's not like a cedar park cedar point where you're going the tallest thing on the planet yeah but it is the most fascinating fun roller coaster i've been on like in my whole life yeah well and i've noticed that you know companies now are doing more of the immersion and they're doing more of the the experience like with yeah. uh flight of passage hagrid's um, Gal- um well smuggler's run but smuggler's but run, especially yeah um oh yeah the new uh, one um resistance <laughs> yes uh, right rise of the resistance rise of the resistance um that you know more companies are going this way and the the rumored with like universal doing uh, mario kart and the, the yeah rides that are come from that yeah right. um that and you know i mean that that was 
one of the original he he did not create the original themed ride but if you go back to disneyland um it was filled with jungle book i'm sorry uh jungle cruise and it was filmed it was filled with all of these themed rides that were Mm -hmm. present to promote the movies and the other properties um that it's it is fascinating that you kind of have the dichotomy of here's the fast roller coasters the high winds you're, you're going to go with loops and all this and then you have more of your themed um mm-hmm. attraction so right. um and and we'll we'll have to we'll have to talk again about um your your aversion background and, and yeah. what you're what you're doing with that um, yeah right I just finished my so, last class. I'm excited. I'm doing my dissertation, then I'll be done. So I'm very excited about that. Well, it's congratulations. About, about when, immersion. when do you anticipate being finished? Uh, I'm, I'm trying to knock it out in a year. Honestly, I'm, I'm already, I'm working ahead on it. I'm, if, uh, if it goes real well, I'll be done. By this time next year, I should be finished. If it goes really well, I could be done sooner than that. But um, my goal is to be done in 2021. I should have my PhD well, all done. Well, good. Good, good yeah, luck. Thanks. Thank you. Um, the... Um, the next thing on for the parks, um, mm-hmm. do you have a favorite restaurant on Disney property? Oh, oh that's a really good question. Um, I, I do. Uh, I would say, honestly, this maybe it's not that new of a restaurant. Okay, the, the neatest themed restaurant is uh, Be Our Guest, the Beauty and okay. the Beast themed one at uh, Magic Kingdom. It's, it's exquisitely themed. Just, just You feel like you're in the movie because yeah. they did such a good job recreating that castle. But, um, but I think the most fun experience I have eating, I, I've taken several friends there, is um, uh, the Living Seas over at, uh-huh. um, uh, at Epcot. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, is, is the restaurant called the Living Seas or is it in the Living Seas? I think it is. I can't think of the name. <laughs> you, you got me on the spot. But um, it's the restaurant there in the, in the uh, uh, Living Seas. And um, because one giant wall of it is looking into their tank and you yeah. can see sharks and giant uh, tur- tortoises and all kinds of fish. And sometimes scuba divers go by. And, uh, and it's, it's wonderful food in a really neat environment. So that's, that's just my most fun. Like if I get a chance to go there to eat, I'll do that. Yeah. And you, you said that as a performer, as a oh, sorry, performer. it's called, it's called the coral reef. The restaurant's called the, the coral, coral reef. reef. Yes. 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 That's right. Sorry. Oh, that, no, no worries. Um, you said as a, as a stunt performer, you, you couldn't go have eight cheeseburgers. Um, <laughs> but from time to time, do, do you have a favorite treat in the park, any of the parks? Uh, you know, <laughs> I, I, I really think if I have a chance to get away and just sometimes for Christmas, they'll give us a little coupon book and you can go get a couple of free treats. Right. Um, I would very often grab a Mickey bar. I mean, there's okay. nothing wrong with yeah. a Mickey mouse shaped little ice cream on the stick. That's, yeah. that's just great. You know, I, I, I have no guilt eating a Mickey bar now and then because <laughs> well, that's a, that's a fun treat. That's always been my favorite. And we, we, now that they sell them in stores, they've become yeah. more dangerous than, <laughs> that's right. than they were when I would go to the parks every once in a while. So on, on your, um, the few more with your background, mm-hmm. um, do you have a favorite memory from any of the shows you worked, any of the, the stunts or background information? Yeah. Um, there are a couple I, I could share that if I got into them, I would start crying. So I won't get into detail. So I'll keep this a little shorter too. Um, it's some of the moments you have with kids. Okay. Um, yeah. Sometimes they're young enough that they think that not only are you Indiana Jones, but the things that happened in the movies really happened. And, and you, know, you just don't really think about it much until, I mean, I'm sure this happens with, with the Mickey Mouse, when Mickey Mouse talks to a child. 
or when Cinderella talks to a child. It, that is Mickey Mouse and that is Cinderella. Mm -hmm. And rarely that happens with Indiana Jones because they introduce us in the very beginning, ladies and gentlemen, Indiana Jones stunt double, Ray Eady. I'm like, hi mm -hmm. everybody, I'm Ray and I'm playing Indiana Jones in this scene. Kids gloss out, they don't listen to that part. Mm -hmm. All they're watching is the cool stuff happening. They, they tune out when you're talking. But they, so think you're him. And so I, I would have a, a kid shows up dressed like Indiana. He's wearing a little yeah. leather jacket, a little leather hat, a little, little hat and a little pouch over his shoulder. I mean, he got the whole thing. And all this kid wants to do is be you and meet you. And oh my God, it just, it just, I, it makes you tear up just thinking yeah, about cool. it. That you get to, I, I got the, the privilege of being able to provide a child the chance to meet who they thought they were meeting. It was just me. I'm not, I'm nobody, but they thought they were meeting this huge, important character. And I got to provide that for them. And there, there's nothing more moving than having a kid just go just jumping up and down on the way yeah. out because they're so excited to get to meet you that, you know, and you think of all I am is a, I'm, I put on a hat and I jump off a building. I'm who cares? Anybody can do this. But when a kid thinks that you're real and you can provide that experience for them, and then you bring them on stage and you, let them hold the idol and then you give them a hat. I mean, it, it just, I mean, they're, they're through the moon and it's that joy of doing that. There's nothing that will ever compare to that as far as yeah. how much happiness I could find at a park. Well, and that was kind of one thing I, I, I like to ask people that have worked in the parks or with the company is how, you know, how does it feel to make the magic? Like to see oh, yeah. somebody or have somebody interact with you and you can just tell mm -hmm. that they're, you know, they're completely into it. Yeah. Um, yeah, there, there's, there's, it's hard to put into words, honestly. I mean, it, it's, it's like you're Santa Claus. You might as well be Santa Claus to some of these kids. Um, sometimes when there are kids who are, what breaks your heart? It's a, it's a make a wish kid. Yeah. Right. This might be the last time they come to Disney. And I, I literally, I cannot tell stories about make a wish kids because I will start crying and I won't do that on a recording. I've done it from my classes before. <laughs> I'll, you know, but that, that is, I mean, it's, it's, who knows how much longer they're going to be alive yeah. Yeah. and all they want to do is come to disney or they want to ride a ride or they want to sometimes it was their make-a-wish wish was meeting indiana jones yeah. when i got to be that i'm stopping right now because i'm going to i'm going to start yeah wavering no, my voice but it, it is it is it's un, i can't even describe it. it's unbelievable yeah it's that's awesome yeah that's awesome the um so of the shows you've done do you have a favorite show i'll, I'll never top indiana jones that, okay. that's a character you can't ever there's no other character like Indiana Jones. So being Indiana Jones was an absolute highlight of my entire life, especially as a performing life. But I will admit the swashbucklers is a close second because there's not, because putting on a, a big hat with a big feather on it and a, yeah. and a you know, velour green outfit with a big sword and you go out there and, and do witty repartee. It's like you're at a Renaissance fair. If you've ever been to a Renaissance fair, the, the sword yeah. fighting gag yeah. shows there. It was just like that. And what an absolute blast. So lots of joy. All, all the shows I've done, I've truly enjoyed. The people I've gotten to work with have had a big influence on my life, but I would have to say that putting on that hat, grabbing the whip, going out being Indiana Jones, there's nothing like that. Well, and that answers my. I I had one more question about who was your favorite character. Um, <laughs> I, I think that I think that answers it. Yeah, uh, yeah, I gotta say that one. I so, um, the the last thing, if any of the students or anyone listening, um, non-students, um, if they want to contact you, yeah. Um, to get more information, what's the best way to contact you? Sure. Well, um, right now, I, I would say probably, you know what? I mean, what's the best way? Let me give my, um, which email address should I use? Uh, well, I'll just, I'll give my UCF one for now. Because I, I, I mean, who knows? I, I'm not planning on going anywhere, but 
you never know. So mm -hmm. for the time being, um, the best way to reach me, my email is my first name dot my last name. So R-A-Y dot E-D-D-Y uh, at UCF dot E-D-U. Okay. It's very simple. So um, email me there. I'd be happy to talk to you. Uh, any questions you guys have, if you want to do this again in person or something, uh, I'd, I'd love to stay in touch and do more. I, I, it's fun to talk about. I try to not to go ramble for too long. I know I do sometimes, but hopefully it's at least interesting. No, this is, as I said, this, thank you for this. This has been my pleasure. Incredibly informational. And I, as I said, when I saw the show, um, Indiana Jones has always been a character that I have really, really enjoyed. Um, I like to joke around that I am Indiana Jones because I teach at a university and I'll yeah. go and every once in a while I'll find like a, a, a dead snake in our <laughs> in our yard and I'll have to throw it over the backyard. Do you some know? archaeology. Yeah. Oh, the snakes. Yeah. 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 And, <laughs> and so it, so for me uh, on a personal level, it, it is really, really cool to have this conversation um, oh, and to, to, to talk about the, the show. And um, so thank you for that. Um, and definitely we will, you know, we'll be in touch and I'm sure we'll, uh, we'll have to do some more of this, um, about the show and, and in the future about, you know, what you're going to be doing um, research wise and everything. So yeah, um, sure. thank you very much for this and um, have a good rest of the day. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Have a great day. Bye. Well, that's going to do it for another episode of the being a fan of Disney podcast. I'm your host, Cody Haver. I want to take this opportunity to thank everyone for joining us and listening and to say that I hope you found the information, whether content covered in class or interviews with guests, fun, informational, entertaining, and even inspiring. If you want to follow along with the class, you can do so by following me on Twitter at chaverphd. That's C-H-A-V-A-R-D-P-H-D. Or by joining the public group on Facebook, Being a Fan of Disney. If you want to engage with any of the guests we've had in class, their contact information is included in each of the show notes. So again, thank you for joining us. It was a great time having you. If you like what you hear, please share this out so other people can engage with the information, possibly learn more about their Disney fandom and their love for all things Disney related. With that, thank you again and have a great day.